Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Primary Care Podcast. Uh, this is your podcast host, Dr. Mark List, uh, bringing you some latest uh, uh, news updates, guidelines from around the globe. Uh, today, we are going to hit another coronavirus topic uh, just because uh, I, I got to I got to. I got to point out some bad, some bad news and some good news uh, with some studies recently, um, and and this gets more into the statistics and the epidemiological uh, uh, research into this, uh, less on the medical uh, issues. But I think you'll find this topic fascinating today. Uh, first of all, we're going to go to our primary care pod at gmail.com inbox. Uh, we have another joke today. Doctor List, here's the joke. Uh, my audiologist told me one year ago that I was going to go deaf. I haven't heard from him since. All right, Bob, start the podcast. Primary Care Podcast is written and by a family physician for an audience of other physicians, nurse practitioners, physicians, assistants, residents, and medical students interested in primary care topics. This is not a podcast for patients and should not be used as medical advice. This is also a personal podcast produced in my own time and solely reflecting my personal opinions. Statements of this podcast do not reflect the views or policies of my employer, past or present, or any other organization with which I may be affiliated. Thank you for listening to the Primary Care Podcast. I'm Dr. Mark List, here to bring you the latest news, guidelines, and updates from primary care sources around the globe. Keeping it under 15 minutes long because you're in a hurry and I'm not that smart. Welcome back to the podcast of Pod Boys and Pod Girls. Uh, your uh, your favorite podcast hope uh, podcast host, uh, Dr. Mark List here, uh, your best friend, uh, your your quarantine and shelter in place confidant. Uh, today we've got a topic that I wanted to hit on, um, and really, I don't. Um, the reason we're talking about this it's the COVID nineteen antibody seroprevalence study from Santa Clara County, California. Now, why are we talking about this? Uh, specifically, I'm talking about this study because it really made the social media rounds in the past two days. Uh, this really hit the uh, hit the airwaves on Friday, and people, uh, you know, pundits uh, on one side of the political spectrum and other armchair epidemiological uh, epidemiologists and uh, uh, armchair physicians and policymakers said, "Well, they say in this study that we are dramatically." Uh, underrepresenting the actual number of cases uh, in this paper uh, uh, that was preprint released, uh, non-peer reviewed, preprint release on this uh, medrxiv.org uh, server, which has been the host of many preprint, non-peer reviewed articles in the past month. Um, they they used antibody data from Santa Clara County, California, and then used the results to say that we are underrepresenting the true actual infected cases by 50-50 to 85-fold more than the number of confirmed cases. So that is a, a amazing claim based on what they say is pretty uh, unique antibody studies. So um, th- we, now this is not a full article. This is a preview of the PDF. This is uh, this is not um, this is not uh, um, a a full release. There's not full data. We've got an abstract. We've got an introduction. We've got a methods, um, and they and they give you all the results and everything. And so we're gonna we're gonna walk through the study and why I think this is one of the most misleading and potentially biased uh, studies that have been used to. Uh, make some incorrect assumptions about the pandemic. Now, let's background history, obviously. Uh, We have to talk about the case fatality rate, which is the amount of positive cases that we have, true confirmed cases, versus the death rate, right? Uh, So the amount of deaths divided by the number of cases that we have. In the United States, that number is about 4%. 
as I'm doing this podcast. Um, worldwide, that rate is closer to 6%. In some countries, European countries, the case fatality rates, uh, you know, double digits in very, very select areas uh, of different countries. Um, and then you have countries that are doing a ton of testing and their case fatality rate is 2%. Now, even in places like Iceland and South Korea uh, and Germany, where they are testing a truckload of people, um, they still have case fatality rates above 1%. And in this study, they estimate that the actual real infection fatality rate, maybe not all cases that we're counting, but everyone who gets the infection, uh, is 0.12% infection fatality rate, which would be marginally uh, almost almost identical to a yearly influenza pandemic, um, which is uh, hovers between 0.05 and 0.1%, rarely higher than that, uh, on a yearly flu and um, yearly flu crisis, your yearly flu cases. So why, how did they come up with this? And so, so first of all, background data is that I don't think anybody actually believes that 4% of people in the United States who get this die. I don't think anybody believes that. I think we all know that we are missing a, a, we are missing a ton of cases. We are, we are absolutely not diagnosing everyone. I can tell locally, um, you know, we have uh, just the most ridiculous protocol in place that even people who are symptomatic, if they are considered to be low risk people, that is no, uh, they're young and healthy. And even if they are symptomatic, we are not allowed to give them the test based on our triage protocol because we have limited t- testing capabilities, which uh, say whatever you want about any, any piece of this whole pandemic puzzle and the healthcare response and the nationwide response. But the fact that we are six weeks into this, seven weeks into this uh, worldwide pandemic, and we don't have adequate testing capabilities to ramp up testing supplies and numbers and, and to get the majority. I mean, if people wanted to test, they could get a test like we were promised seven weeks ago. Um, I, I, I find that to be the most absolutely soul-devouring, you know, piece of this puzzle. I read that there are some states with incredible populations. I'm not going to name states, uh, but Illinois, you're one of them, um, where, and Florida too, where the amount of people who need to be tested or could be tested is dramatically higher than what the testing capabilities are. And you can see this, you know, in New Jersey and some other places that have double-digit, high double-digit positive rates. You know, we should be screening a whole lot more people, especially with 30% false negatives. We should be seeing, you know, positive rates of like single digits, you know, 5% of of tests that we do are positive. The fact that we are, you know, some states, you know, 20% of tests are positive uh, means that we are absolutely not able to test everyone that we should be, and we're missing a ton of cases. So I don't disagree with any of the, the preconceived notions of the study. So what do they do in this study? Uh, so my point is, nobody actually believes the fatality rate is actually that high, of 4%, 6%, whatever it is. Uh, most epidemiologi- epidemiologists uh, and and virologists out there uh, on the Twitterverse and on the social media rounds uh, kind of have come to a consensus based on some of other um, similar uh, demographic studies or the testing of asymptomatic people studies or the testing of antibody studies, other uh, early antibody studies like were done in Germany. Um, Put the put the actual infection fatality rate at about half a percent to a percent, but this study saying it's 0.12 percent is pretty outrageous. And I want to talk about this actual study. So, um, in Santa Clara County, California, uh, this research group recruited people, 3,330 people, 
Um, and they recruited them to the study via Facebook. And they targeted uh, population data and they adjusted for zip code, uh, sex, and race, ethnicity. And this is an important part later. Um, and then they also adjusted the te their test performance using three different estimates. Um, and this was some controls at Stanford, a combination of the test manufacturer's data, et cetera. And so what they found was that 1.5% of those people that they tested in Santa Clara County were positive for the presence of the COVID antibodies. So 98.5% of people were not positive. Now, they then used some uh, uh, formulas and they, they weighted based on um, their, their population data, their ethnicities, and they weighted uh, those positives differently based on what the actual uh, makeup of the county is. So again, this was not a test of the general population. This was a recruited uh, sample on Facebook, which not only, which was, we're going to talk about in a little bit. So anyways, um, and then they gave this range of confidence intervals of the population pre pre uh, prevalence from 2.4%, 2.49% to 4.1%, 4.16% of the prevalence, okay? And they talk about in, in the data, in the details about when they they talk about the specificity of their test. Uh, they have their test at 99% specificity, meaning that there's a very, very low false positive rates. But the confidence interval on that test specificity includes, it, it's, it's, it goes down past 1.5% uh, of potential false positive. So uh, let me back up. Let me back up. So what are the issues with this study? Number one is we're recruiting from Facebook. So we're already probably not getting the, quote, general population. We're not getting a good sample size of what Santa Clara County actually looks like. We're getting people who, number one, have internet access. Number two, have a Facebook account. Number three, are are going to select bias themselves. Uh, uh, consent bias, I believe, is the term for this, where people are consenting to get their blood drawn and test because they probably, a lot of them, want to know if they were positive. Very few people nowadays stand up uh, and without, you know, respond to a Facebook post, raise their hand and say, yes, I'll, I'll, I will volunteer myself for medical science. Many of these people uh, who volunteered probably thought that they had it because they had symptoms, which, uh, which automatically makes them not a general population who you just select at random. These are people who are self-selecting to volunteer for this study. Okay. And why are they doing that? Probably because they either know somebody who had it, which they means they have a potential exposure, or they had symptoms, or it's a cluster of people, for example, family and friends who are then sharing it and then all signing up together to get antibodies drawn. Um, so again, this is a very, 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 uh, I get it. It's speed. Uh, it's a very, the way that then they capped they also capped the number of people that they were allowing from a certain area of the county, et cetera. I, it's very well done. It's a well-designed study, but it's a it's a very biased population. So you're not getting the general population. And so then when they even try to further um, change the actual prevalence of positives based on the demographics, so they overweight certain races or sexes or age um, in order to make up uh, kind of bridge the gap between their their not general population sample and kind of what the population actually looks like. So there's huge biases there. Now, when you look at the actual confidence interval of the IgM, right, our, our estimates of sensitivity 
they were using were 91.8%, okay, with confidence interval of the sensitivity of 83% to 96%. And when we look at, that was of the IgG, and the IgM was a little bit lower at uh, 67.6. Okay. Um, all right, sorry, the 67.6 was the IgG. Okay, so uh, similarly, our estimates of specificity, and this is important, are 99.5%, meaning that they believe that the specificity, the, the rates of false positives, uh, are going to be less than 0.5% of, that, that's, you know, that's, that's, now, that's all that they're expecting could be false positives. But their confidence interval of their specificity is 98.1% to 99.9%. So what does that mean? Your lower limit of your confidence interval on your specificity is 98.1%, which means that if you do a study and up to 1.9% of your positives could all be false positives. So in a study that only has 1.5% of their people test positive, there is a chance mathematically based on your based on your confidence interval of your specificity of your test that all of your positives are actually false positives. And the fact that then they go on to not only say that uh, they, they use the, the, these amounts of positives, these 1.5% positives, and then weight them higher, which they could all have been false positives to begin with. Not that that's likely, but it could theoretically, based on the math, it definitely could happen. And then they reweight them higher, and then they make a confidence state uh, in the claim that it's 50 to 85 times higher. And then they gave the infection fatality rate of 0.12%. And then people come out on social media and say that they, and then they say that, oh, this is, you know, look, people are overreacting. Most people actually already have this in Santa Clara. And so the infection fatality rate is just influenza. And they're using this to justify and opening up the country. Now, I am not going to get into the policies of opening up the country. I'm currently in a state with no shelter in place, but is sheltering in place just high-risk people, which I think is smart. Um, I think that we could have used a shelter in place, but our numbers are staying pretty low and plateauing, at least at this point, until things take off and pop off and go faster. But I feel like we at some point are definitely going to have to roll back out to social distance, but normal life. People are going to have to go back to work. So that way, you know, we don't have half of our country unemployed and, and homeless. But we have to in a smart way. And when policy is driven by absolute garbage science, right? Um, so I don't want to point fingers. Again, um, I am politically completely neutral. I'm an independent. But in the last four days, we have the president saying, liberate these states. Everyone go back to work. Take away the shelter in places. Liberate these states. And then you have these people uh, congregating in mass in mass protests uh, and saying, open up our state, we want to go back to work. And yet, people are basing it on the fact that our our cases aren't as high as they should be. Our deaths aren't as high as that was predicted. That means clearly this isn't as dangerous as it was. We have taken unprecedented precautions worldwide. If we did this every influenza season, we would have almost no cases of influenza. If we social distance, shelter in place, put non-essential workers in their houses worldwide, we wouldn't have influenza outbreaks. It just wouldn't happen, right? This is, and, and I think that this this idea that like, oh, see, the numbers aren't as bad. Like, this is like, oh, people are wearing their seatbelts, and so we're not having as many uh, fatalities on the roads. Well, we don't need seatbelts. Uh, you know, it's it's you know, 
oh, people aren't murdering each other with with automatic rifles every day. Therefore, everyone should own an automatic rifle. I mean, it's it, they're using the fact that we have justifiably shut down the globe, global travel, international commerce, interstate commerce. Uh, we've shut down travel. We've shut down social you know, gatherings. We've put people in their houses. We've quarantined them. We've kept them home. And yet we're still having this many cases and deaths. And people are using those, quote, low numbers, unquote, to justify going back earlier. It's it's so part of this discussion is the fact that this is a non peer reviewed, non peer reviewed. So no one has taken a look at this. The authors have just written this article down. They've put all their results in. They've put their responses in. Uh, They've they've talked about their conclusions and they've put it out on the Internet. And here is where I am very nervous because this happened a little bit uh, pre pre pandemic, but obviously with the because the peer review process and because the printing process takes so long, anybody who's ever submitted something and gotten something published, um, you can feel my pain of like having to wait and have uh, authors review it and then have you make edits and changes and then finally get it published. And I've I've got it published in like local state health journals. So I, I've never done anything, you know, to a nationwide standpoint. So I can't even imagine the wait times and the delay there. And when we're looking at when we're looking at these preprints, we don't have the time for that. We have to get this data out there ASAP. But by putting this data out here, we're saying, look, this is good science. Look, world, here's a preprint data. We're going to distribute this. Everyone can learn from this. And this is an absolute garbage study. Now, now, don't get me wrong. This is this is the best that they can do given the situation. We have to do these. We have to do these fast. We have to keep going, 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 going. So we can't have the time to take two weeks to build a population of you know representative of the actual population. So I get the Facebook. Um, I get the Facebook bias. I get the Facebook. The fact that we're just going to have to have bad data. Um, but then the fact that they make these assumptions and then the world runs with this and uses this as a means to justify policy. And if you you don't believe me that this is being used to justify policy, read some cons- conservative bloggers, opinion heads, talking heads. And this study was was quoted by, uh, for example, somebody sent me a link uh, and said, hey, what do you think of this study? And it was Ben Shapiro, a, 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 a conservative uh, media person who is supposedly known for, um, you know, his his uh, his. Um, fact-based, logical nature. And so this is a this is a piece of scientific data, but it's not peer-reviewed. It's pretty garbage. It's it's hard to make a definitive statement that, you know, we're underrepresenting 50 to 85% or 50 to 80 times more cases than we're actually seeing. Now, don't get me wrong, most scientists out there based on the data that we've seen in other studies like I talked about, think that we're underrepresenting cases by at least a factor of five, if not a factor of 10 and upper range of 20. This is the first time that we've seen somebody say 50 to 85 times uh, based on the confirmed cases, uh, 55, 50 to 85 times more actual cases than confirmed laboratory t- t- cases, which, again, is a crazy outlier. And yet again, being used to justify policy changes. So um, uh, here here's my wrap up. And that is I, I, we ha- really have to be careful from a scientific community about looking at the studies coming out. 
I know, you know, I'm, I'm somebody who I saw the initial hydroxychloroquine study from France and I said, ooh, this could be something. I, there was a lot of promise to it. There's a lot of intrigue about it. A cure, a viral, complete, complete viral resolution days after starting the, the, the drug. And I said, ooh, this is really appealing. I had hope. Look, this is this is very clear that this that this data is another this data set. The study is another data set showing us that, yes, we are likely missing a lot of cases. Yes, we are probably underrepresenting the actual amount of infected in the United States. Yes, this means that our fatality rate is actually under one percent. It's actually probably closer to a half a percent to one percent, which is great news. That's great news for everybody. It's great news that we probably have a ton of people out there who are starting to be immune to this disease or hopefully getting antibody response to this disease who don't know it yet. But once widespread antibody testing comes out, will be. And we're creeping closer and closer to herd immunity. Now, if this thing is as contagious as they say it is, uh, we're going to need a a lot more of the population worldwide to be immune to this before we can, you know, open the doors and, quote, open America again, unquote, you know. Um, so that's still a long ways off. And I think that's, you know, um, I, I think that's a, a great thing to look forward to uh, because the vaccination is probably at least two years, if not four years uh, from a good one uh, away. So, I, I again, I think this is a net positive study. This is reassuring. But using it as a talking point to completely undo all the work we've done to keep deaths as low as they have and cases as low as they have worldwide is completely idiotic. It's bad science. It's not, I mean, it's not bad science. It's just not great science. It's a very weak, low quality study. It's a necessary study. And we have to have these type of studies to move, move the the needle and start building, you know, piles of bad data, eventually kind of, uh, you know, low quality data. If you have a lot of it and it's all pointing the same direction, you can kind of make assumptions based on what reality actually looks like. We're not going to get any high-quality studies for a while um, on this. No high-quality studies can be done this fast and pushed out so quick. But I mean, we are, ooh, we are, we are, we are, we are bad mouthing. We are, we are creating in the public realm a bad taste in their mouths for science if this is what we're giving them. So, anyways, again, I I, I wanted to to use this uh, podcast as a way to break down a piece of really low-quality garbage study that's that's very positive leaning and looks very positive and I agree is probably overall that positive but makes some crazy assumptions that is that are this is as far of an outlier when it comes to um, confirmed cases versus probable cases how much of the population actually is asymptomatic and, and getting immunity to this this is an outlier and should be shown as an outlier again another positive point a data point that we are missing cases yep I agree everything's good but man, alive, people, let's let's get some better data out there before we start making policy changes. Um, and holy buckets! Uh, wow, that's a that's a long podcast. Uh, I did not realize I went over my 15 minutes. Um, again, everybody, uh, you get your free money. You get your you get your money back on this podcast. Uh, it, this one's on me. Um, so with that, I'm going to sign off saying um, uh, you don't have to stay up all night. Stay up to date. This has been Dr. Mark List uh, with the Primary Care Podcast. Uh, and everyone, stay safe and have a good night.